I had a really good conversation with someone the other night about going back and watching certain movies and getting more out of them later on than when you first watch them. And actually, the movie we were talking about was Groundhog Day with Bill Murray. And not that I'm going to go into that, but it is a really good movie. But it got me thinking about some others, and maybe while Luke is with me for the next year, maybe sharing with him some of my favorites. And one of them is the great Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. And I am talking about the one with Gene Wilder from 1971, not the more recent Johnny Depp one, which we're just not even going to talk about. But the one with Gene Wilder, I love that movie. And actually, I was kind of curious if Luke had seen it. I forgot to ask him before I gave the homily last night. And I did ask him yesterday, and he thinks he's heard of it, but has not seen it. I had to be reminded a couple of times, just, you know, there is a little bit of a gap between Luke and my age, and I forget these things. Last time he was with me, we went to go see a play, and it was one I had been in in high school, and Luke asked me, oh, what year was that, Father? I said, 98, I think? And he goes, oh, I wasn't born yet. Great. That's wonderful. Thanks, buddy. No, that's great. And we're having a good time, but I, I do intend to share that movie with him at some point, because I haven't seen it forever. But you know, it's one of those things that we've got to do it in a different way than say like YouTube. Because you know, if you just see a clip of something, if it's just taken out of context, you miss so much. And I actually, with Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, I went and looked at kind of like the big conclusion yesterday. I think it's like a four and a half minute clip on YouTube. And you know, it's at the very end, you know, Augustus Gloop has already fallen into the river of chocolate, you know, uh, Viola Beauregard's already been turned into a blueberry. By the way, a lot of spoilers, but the movie came out 52 years ago, so I mean, you've had a chance. Um, you know, Veruca Salt, she's a bad egg, she's gone through. Mike TV, which by the way is funny, that kid's obsessed with technology. This was 1971. This is before they had TVs in their pockets. They were worried about it then, but I digress. It's so like everybody, you know, who's rich and able to afford tons of chocolate bars and could get a golden ticket, they've all been horrible. And then the only one still surviving at the end, right, is Charlie and his grandpa Joe. And they're going to Willy Wonka's office who suddenly, he's been the tour guide the whole time, but now Willy Wonka has got, you know, little time, a whole lot to do. And he just sort of brushes them off and goes into his office. And the whole thing is they're supposed to get a lifetime supply of chocolate. They just got to do all this stuff, but he just walks away and he goes in the office. And then, so they, Charlie and his grandpa go into the office to try to find out what's going on. It's a weird office, but it's great. But, you know, so Gene Wilder, in classic Gene Wilder way, is like working hard at his desk with his back to them. And Grandpa Joe goes up. He's like, Mr. Wonka, I'm terribly busy, sir. What about the chocolate? What chocolate? Well, Charlie should get a lifetime supply of chocolate. He won. No, you lost. What do you mean you lost? You broke the rules, sir. And then he goes into this, and I love Gene Wilder, by the way, like this awesome explosion of rage of how they broke the rules by drinking fizzy lifting drinks and they touched the ceiling, which now has to be clean and sterilized. And, and it just, you know, wrong, sir, wrong. Like, Gene Wilder looks like a nut. And so the way I look at this is like, if I want Luke to appreciate this movie, I'm not just gonna show him that scene, right? Because if you take it out of the whole context of the movie, it's like, whoa, this guy's going nuts on Grandpa Joe and Charlie. And then, you know, Grandpa Joe is ready to give the everlasting gobstopper to Slugworth, you know, who's apparently Willy Wonka's big, you know, rival. And as they're leaving, Charlie stops, you know, and you hear, Mr. Wonka, and he sets it down, right? And I actually look this up too, the great line. 
Gene Wilder says, so shines a good deed in a weary world. And he like puts his hand on the gobstopper and she's around, Charlie, my boy, you've won. And so after this like going nuts on him with rage for breaking the rules, Charlie has won, right? He sees that like in the midst of it all, he's a good kid, he has this virtue. And as I said, if you take it out of the context, Gene Wilder looks insane. If you put it in the whole thing, it's part of the movie and it's a very important part. Now I hope by now you've seen where I'm going with this. This is one of those gospels that, yeah, we get it kind of out of context because here we are on Sunday. Most of us haven't been together since last Sunday, right? And if you remember last Sunday, Peter was walking on the water and then started to sink. And remember Jesus said to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And then they get back into the boat and everybody worships him. And then the trouble is we miss a lot of context. We just skipped, I think, 27 verses of Matthew's gospel from a little bit at the end of chapter 14 where they go to Gennesaret and he heals a bunch of people who merely touch the tassel of his cloak. And then I want to read for you what we miss in the first 20 uh, verses of the 15th chapter. Now, it's going to be a bit of a long quote, but the way I look at this is I'm literally quoting from sacred scripture. So if you're going to do that, I mean, that's why we're all here, right? And I promise it makes a lot of sense. So basically, Jesus has just crossed and in the process has walked on the water. They all worship him as the son of God. They get to this different area, and this is what happens. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Okay. They came from Jerusalem, which is like, you know, the New York City of the time. Everything, the movers and shakers, that's where they are. They've come to this region, which is kind of like backwoods West Virginia, to ask Jesus, why aren't they washing their hands? Okay, just think about that, right? Jesus answered them, and why do you transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother, let him surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the law of God. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. And Jesus called the people to him and said to them, hear and understand. Not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a man. Okay, now get this part. Then the disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? So his disciples, who by the way have just seen him walk on water, right, have already seen him feed the 5,000, seen him do a lot of curing, they're upset because they think he might have offended the Pharisees. Jesus answered, every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and so passes on? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart 
and this defiles a man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. And then at that time, Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman came from that region. So there's the context, right? Jesus has walked on water. He's given his credentials, basically showing I'm, I'm over creation, right? I'm bigger than the law. I'm bigger than the Sabbath. Here are these things to see it in a big way. The Pharisees and the scribes have proven they don't get it, right? Why don't your disciples wash their hands? All right, fine. They're far away. They're not right next to him all the time. But his disciples, they're right there with him, right? Although last week we heard him say to Peter, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Then comes this woman, a Canaanite. Remember, I mean, the Canaanites are longtime, you know, enemies of the Jews. They come from a culture that's been in league with demons. I mean, it makes sense that her daughter's possessed. They've kind of been in league with them for a long time. But as you find out when you're doing that kind of stuff with demons, you're not going to be happy. They're not looking out for your best interests. She knows that where she is is not good. And notice the way that she approaches every time she talks to him. It's with humility. Have pity on me, Lord, son of David. Lord, help me. You know, even the dogs eat from the scraps of the table. She's humble. Her faith is great. Notice the prayer of the disciples in our reading from today. Jesus' disciples came and asked him, send her away, for she keeps calling out after us. Now think about that. They've already seen him exercise people. They've seen him walk on the water. They've seen him feed the 5,000. What's their prayer here? Get rid of her. She's so annoying. It's like, folks, how do you not see this? And even in the midst of him being like Gene Wilder, right? Giving her a hard time, like making her have to kind of work for this. She has great faith. Now, just say the beautiful thing about this is we have the awesome context of it all. This isn't one of those gospels to just sort of show up and like proof text and it's like this one little scene like, oh, Jesus is harsh. Guess I'm not going to pray anymore. No. It's one of those things where as we go through our own life, our own lives have a lot of context. There are times when it's like, wow, I feel like I just walked on water a little bit there. Like, wow, I just saw something amazing. And there are other times where prayer feels like I'm chewing on sand and I'm hitting a brick wall and he's just not responding. It's a whole context. What does he want from us? Our hearts. As he said, complaining about the Pharisees, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And if you look at the theme of all these readings, it's the fact that his peace and his love is for all nations, all hearts, yours and mine. He's come for all of us to rest in him. But we do that in the midst of a context, the context of our life. And just like the disciples who keep getting to see amazing things, but still don't get it so much of the time, right? Jesus gives us a good example of a woman who's coming to him, who's making the efforts, who's showing that love, who's striving to have her heart close to him. And look what happens. He exalts in her faith. Last week we heard him say to Peter, the prince of the apostles, the first pope, oh, why did you doubt? You know, you of little faith. Today, oh woman, great is your faith. My friends, he has come to get that faith from all of us. 
And the thing is, it's an unfolding context all the time. Don't just watch a little snippet of the scripture on Sunday and then just kind of forget about it for a week. Read the stuff in between because it's so important. And the other thing I would say is bring the whole context of your life as well. We don't want to just have little snippets with Christ, but to continue to be with him all the time, to bring him everything, to recognize that sometimes we act like the Pharisees, noticing every little quibble about those around us, like, oh, how could she dress like that at mass? You know, or like, oh, here comes old so-and-so coming in late again. And, you know, stuff like that, like, okay, but they're here, you know? Okay, don't get me wrong, I'm here on time. I'm wearing black shoes, you know, like I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do, but what's the greater thing? He wants our heart close to him. And it's an ongoing thing that we continue to strive to learn from him and love him more and more. And how do we do that? By imitating this Canaanite woman, by having great faith. And we do that by showing up each and every day, talking to him, giving him our whole hearts, not just being so concerned with a lot of petty things, but really talking to him about everything. And hopefully, instead of having him say like he did to Peter, oh, you have little faith, why did you doubt? Rather, getting our Lord to be excited about what we show him, our devotion, our homage, to be able to come like her and to have him say to us, oh, you, great is your faith. Praise be Jesus Christ.